Welcome to Practically Political. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield. Let's get right to it. All right, Dave. So liberal Democrats, they keep hitting, they keep hammering their fellow Democrat, Arizona Senator Kristen Sinema, for holding the line on spending an excessive, I would say excessive $3.5 trillion on top of another $1.5 trillion bill. But a poll from Ohio Predictive Insights, they actually show that Sinema has a higher approval rating than the much more liberal senator from the state, Mark Kelly. So she's not very popular with Democrats, but her net approval uh, among independents is uh, plus six, whereas with Mark Kelly, it's plus one. So our national progressives, are they basically tone deaf about the nuances of state politics? And is this going to backfire? Well, you've heard me say this a lot. I think progressives are tone deaf about almost everything. And I would say Mark Kelly is far from a liberal, right? So if cinema uh, is getting better numbers in Arizona than he, that should be a warning sign. Well, before before I answer the question, let me just say, I maintain that Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema, even though they're too blind to see it, are doing pro- progressives a huge favor because the bill is going to be toned down probably from three and a half to about two trillion. And so they'll still be able to say we got things done, but they won't be able to be labeled nearly as profligate as they would have been if the whole thing had gone through. But you're seeing this over and over again and people acting like they have a mandate. And they say Biden wants to be like FDR. Biden wants to be like like uh, Johnson. Well, you know, Johnson had 67, almost 77 senators and a 70 seat majority in the House. So I think it's slightly different. You have a very divided government. They need all 50 senators. So um, I I think that they will get the bills done. And I think that the debt ceiling not being an issue will will benefit them very much because they'll be able to say, look, we got things done before, and then they can focus on the debt ceiling. But uh, they're totally tone deaf. And it, it really worries me because being a pragmatist, I don't see much pragmatism amongst them at all. And I don't think this is going to change. And uh, unfortunately, they're, they're, not, they're not going anywhere, but they're not doing the Democratic Party any favors. Well, what I find ironic is that the Democrats, they, uh, they definitely championed the concept of a maverick for John McCain, but with cinema, bye-bye maverick. So anyway, let's move on to the next topic. It's your turn, Dave. Yes. Well, I'm going to ask you something that concerns me. It seems like the Republican Party has internalized the big lie, where it's almost become a litmus test for candidates, even if it doesn't need to be. And the classic example is someone like Josh Mandel, who's running for Senate in Ohio, who is the front runner, but and J.D. Vance, and these people are just going off the deep end. And so I guess what worries me is that this really is a threat to democracy because the table's being set for being much more in a better position to overturn the 24 election. Uh, someone like who's a very conscientious Trump supporter like you, doesn't this concern you? And people like you, what are you going to do about it? Because you're the people that can best get people to listen. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a very valid question, Dave. And it's strange that I'm answering your question. <laughs> the tables are turned. But, uh, but basically, I feel that uh, when we're looking at the case of John Schmendel, for example, he made the statement that Ohio, the margin for Trump would have been even much higher than it actually was. Therefore, we need to have an audit to increase Trump's margin. I just think that's an unforced error. He doesn't need to be talking about that specific race in Ohio as it relates to 
you know, a determinative margin uh, to go in either direction. That's something he doesn't need to do. Um, and then as it relates to just being backward looking, I mean, Trump himself said he left nothing on the field when it came to his legal challenges. I covered a lot of them as a journalist. Uh, you know, there were a lot of frustrating things that Democrats and unelected bureaucrats did that were, in my view, unconstitutional because the Constitution says it's the legislature that is supposed to make changes, not unelected bureaucrats at a lot of these state level election committees and the like. So I think the more uh, Republicans focus on the legal questions, I think a lot of these ballot integrity uh, laws and proposals are right on the money. That's what we should be focused on. We should really be focused on the future. So I have a problem when people are so backward looking uh, when, you know, even though I disagreed that the, a lot of the rulings had to do with standing rather than actual substance. And I found that frustrating because it was you're damned if you do before the election, you're damned if you don't with the lawsuits. But uh, I'm sure we'll talk about this more. We got to go to our next topic. Well, let me just ask you one question, and that is, uh, you you do agree that even though there were irregularities, there was nothing big enough that would have affected the election, right? No, I, I definitely believe that Trump lost the election, that uh, I think that there were a lot of changes. As it stood, Trump lost the election. I do think that there were lots of very questionable changes that were made, and I, I think it's unfortunate that the legal challenges were not brought sooner. I know that a lot of the Republicans, I think, were asleep at the wheel by allowing these things to happen. And the coronavirus was used to cover a multitude of sins. And I think that's really sad, especially now that we're learning more and more about the coronavirus, how it appears based on all the evidence. And now even Anthony Fauci's reversing his tune and saying that it looks like this was created by humans, that it was created, uh, manufactured in part, most likely by you and me, taxpayer money, U.S. taxpayer money uh, grants flowing over to this research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. So I just find this profoundly disturbing on all levels that this was sort of the impetus to make a lot of changes that I believe were unconstitutional. So whether that whether these changes were determinative, uh, the way it shaked, shaked out at the end, it didn't it, Trump lost. But I, I think you, you can't you can't operate in a in a alternative universe. No, but none of the changes, none of the irregularities would affect would have affected so, the election. Most people who who are neutral agree with that. But anyway, let's let's move on. Yeah. So my wild card question for you, Dave, when we're looking at the polls and how Americans view our president, Joe Biden, a minority, only 44 percent, it seems, uh, believe that the president is competent. So this isn't just Republicans now, this is the majority of people. It's a lot of independents. Do you think that these independents now have started to sour on Biden? And do you think this will carry on long enough to the midterms? Well, to the first question, the answer is clearly yes. In fact, I saw a Quinniac poll yesterday that put him at 38%, which is the lowest it's ever been. And as we've talked about before, many of these are unforced errors, whether it was the buckle in Afghanistan, whether it was being indirect when it was going to be very obvious that people knew what was going on. Um, and so, yes, I think that there, there are some real issues about the president's competence. And I think there are some issues about, um, you know, how on, on top of things he is. I think he has some skilled people around him. And I think a lot of what they're trying to do, uh, certainly on a smaller scale, is uh, justified. But yes, I, I, I do worry about that. And 
the midterms are obviously always a real challenge for the first first term president. There's only been two times in the last hundred years, in 1934 and 2002, when the president's party has gained seats in a mid, the first midterm election, and both of those were after a crisis. And I think that's one of the things, the most underrated thing that's hurt Biden was the Delta variant coming back because everyone gave him such high marks on the way he handled the coronavirus. And now his approval ratings are way down on that. And I think that's the thing that, that's, that of all the things that have changed, that's what's hurt, hurt him the most. Now, the good news is that, as we know, the American public has a very short memory. And if the economy continues to improve, if inflation proves to be only uh, I think short-term, not a long-term problem. I know we don't agree on that. And if um, the pandemic is finally under control, which I think it's very close to being, then I think he can recover. But I do believe that right now the House is going to be very challenging because of redistricting and just uh, a lot of uh, other factors. The Senate, the good news for the Democrats is that the, they only have to defend 14 seats where the Republicans have to defend 22. And the only really challenging seats for the Democrats are Maggie Hassan, possibly, but also uh, Mark Kelly and Raphael Warnock. So right now, I'd say the Republicans would take the House and the Senate's a toss-up. So uh, that kind of leads me to my question to you. Uh, we're, we're mind readers here, and that is, how do you see the midterms, particularly the Senate? Because the House right now, I think, unless things change, is probably going to go to the GOP, even though I think Kevin McCarthy is is uh, <laughs> spineless, <laughs> he's immoral, and I think he's kind of a dimwit. I mean, whatever people think of Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell, they're both very shrewd, and they both are masters of their chamber, and they're both deft. Uh, that cannot be said about Kevin McCarthy. But putting that aside, how do you call the Senate? And what are the races that you're watching? Yeah, no, I, I, I think that the, well, first, I, I'm upset about what happened with Mitch McConnell. I'm upset with this deal that he just made on the debt ceiling, because this was the one thing that Republicans finally had a chance to exert some type of uh, discipline. So we're talking $28.4 trillion. Yeah, but Carrie, I'm sorry to interrupt, but the when Trump just, was going on his spending spree, the Democrats raised the debt ceiling three times. Yeah, but they're Democrats. Do you ever meet a Democrat who doesn't want to spend these days? Oh, come on. When so the other person is well, okay. I just Anyway, go ahead. If the Republicans are supposed to provide any sort of contrast to Democrats, and I agree that the, the Trump administration should have done more to curtail spending. They, they kept using coronavirus as an excuse because they said it was an emergency. But now we're looking more and more to see it wasn't such an emergency. But uh, but no, I, I'm looking at, at races in Florida. Uh, Rubio's running, but I think he's in pretty good shape. Uh, and the the Georgia race, I think, is going to be very interesting. Uh, the fact that Grassley said he's going to run again from a health perspective, uh, I, I wish him you know, very good health. Uh, he's getting very elderly, though. Uh, but the fact that he's not going to step down is good for them and is in for the Republican Party. Uh, so that gives me some hope uh, as far as, you know, holding the line. I agree with you, though. I think overall it's, it's going to be a toss up. Um, I think the sadly, the Arizona makeup, Arizona used to be so strongly red, but it looks like the incumbent Kelly, he's he's all the polls have him up by almost, in some cases, double digits. 
so I, I wish that the Republicans could have been able to hold on to Arizona. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if maybe some of the cinema independents will rub off on him and uh, maybe he won't win. Well, and Herschel Walker is far from the ideal candidate in Georgia, let's be honest. Uh, he's a sports hero. And he's got great name ID. Uh, and he's he's got, in my opinion, he's got exactly the type of message that Republicans need to reach black voters, which is what Trump did so good at. Uh, and also with Latino voters, uh, we saw the increase also with Asian Americans. And look, they still have, you know, the margins were still small relative to Democrats, but they were in some cases better than we'd seen in a generation for Republicans. So I think Herschel Walker represents a new generation of uh, black Republicans. And I think that's hopeful. Well, I think he's an inexperienced carpetbagger, and I think that's going to suffer. And also he's 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 even extreme on a lot of these views for what I think what would appeal to a black audience and what has proven to be successful in Georgia. So I guess we'll agree to, to disagree on that one. What about Ron Johnson? What's going to happen with him? Well, he's he certainly has been a very outspoken uh, supporter uh, of, of the president, of the former President Trump. And, and he started out so mainstream. That was the thing. He's, yeah, but I, I think he, he he's... Um, I think a lot of people respect again he he's offering more of a contrast and i think i think that's some people when they say oh you know there's no difference there's no daylight between the two parties ron johnson he he doesn't play that game you know he he stands for what he stands for you know and i Who think says a lot that? Of people appreciate that in the sense that <laughs> no I, a lot especially a lot of young people a lot of people young people are like coke pepsi what's the difference there's no daylight between really the parties. well i sure uh, have why, why bother yeah, no, got to get out more. I, I, I guess so. I, I talk to a lot of people. Get out of your California bubble. I hear, I hear almost everything. I mean, I talk to my friends in Arkansas. I talk to friends in Michigan. I, you know, I talk to people from West Virginia, and boy, I, I haven't heard that. So that's, uh, that's very interesting. I think there's, what I hear more than anything is that it's like we're going to a lunch, and they're serving chicken and fish, and if you really hassle the waiter you can get a vegetarian entree but i really want beef so i can't get that so i have to vote for the alternative that i dislike the least not the one that i really like and that's a major problem with our with our system and the, and listen i'm the first to admit that the democratic party's lurch to the left has not helped that and if people don't think that's right look at how well greg gutfeld's show has done on fox because it used to be that all the fodder for for comedians came from the right but the left is now providing their own amount and that's why he filled that that void and then um that's why his show is uh is doing so well but i think that's all the time we have for for today but as always such a great conversation carrie and i hope all of you will join us on our next episode of practically political i'm dave spencer and i'm carrie shuffield we'll see you then